Welcome back to Your Story, where our guests tell their story with the help of only 12 questions in ideally under 30 minutes. Uh, this week, we are joined by Roy Barker, who has over 45 years of business experience. He started at 14 selling cow manure for garden fertilizer out of the back of his mom's car. His main focus is employee retention, business, and operational strategies. He has a sales and marketing position as well as analyzing all aspects of businesses from financial uh, to sales to operational functions. He also hosts a couple of podcasts, the Business of Business podcast and Educational. Uh, he has almost 200 episodes between the two, uh, so we'll probably get into a little bit of that. But Roy, welcome. Uh, thank you for joining us this week. Thanks a lot, Mike. I appreciate you having me on. Of course. And you know I have to start. Any What's the number one story that pops into your mind when you think back to being that 14-year-old selling the manure out of the back of the truck or the, oh. the trunk? <laughs> yeah, well, you know, we had to clean out the barn and we got tired of hauling it, you know, way out to the pasture out behind the trees. And so one day me and a buddy of mine were thinking up and we're like, why don't we sell this? And, uh, you know, it's funny to think about it today, but we would uh, load it up in burlap bags, throw it in the back of the car. And then back in that day, people didn't have a lot of privacy fences, mostly like chain link fence. So we'd drive around the neighborhood, spot somebody with the garden, pop up to the door, knock on the door and say, hey, we're selling some, uh, you know, fertilizer with horses that aren't uh, field fed. You know, they're all grain fed. It's all pretty clean. And uh, you'd be surprised at how many people would be like, yeah, I'll take three bags. Of I don't even remember what we sold it for, but. Uh, you know, they didn't have to go find it. It was really a lot of it. So it it's kind of funny to think back that on now. I mean, we'd probably uh, be arrested or be shot at if we were trying to do that today. <laughs> well, it's pretty entrepreneurial to bring it right to the consumer. I, I just assumed that you were stationary hoping for uh, the right customer client to drive by. But I think it makes sense to, to target that, uh, yeah. that probably worked out much better. Yeah, you know, and I kind of relate that to a lot of the, uh, you know, a lot of sales and techniques of today is that, you know, we could have just sat on the corner, but the value that we added were number one, we pulled right up to your front door. And number two, we were the ones carrying the bags back to the back. And, you know, we didn't charge extra, but somebody wanted us to open them up and spread it out. You know, we, we were just trying to do anything we could to set ourselves apart from these poor old people having to drive up to the nursery and, you know, buy it themselves and, you know, come home and unload it. Like I said, very enterprising <laughs> start. Uh, I was not expecting such a, uh, such a good answer there. Yeah. <laughs> but kind of rolling into that, as you, as, as I referenced the 45 years of experience, uh, if you, um, you know, kind of look back on that, looking back 20 years, what, what advice would you have given yourself uh, 20 years ago? Uh, you know, I think it's just, uh, pay more attention to the customer. I think that's something that I've learned, you know, used to, it, it seemed like it was all about me and the company, you know, how good we were and what we did instead of really listening to the prospect, you know, what's your problem? How can we solve that? How can we add value? And, uh, you know, also something else I talk a lot about is at one point uh, trying to be more cost conscious of being a, you know, a lower cost provider. Well, company down the street, they do it for, you know, a hundred bucks. So we could do it for 90. And I've kind of, you know, over the years kind of flipped that switch to be more about value. And you'd be surprised um, when people start beating you down on price, 
you just have to be at a point you can say, you know what, it's we're just not going to be a good fit for each other, but I can certainly help you find somebody that can help you. And you'll be surprised that those people will all of a sudden they'll be start selling me on why I should work with them. You know, it, so, uh, you know, that uh, you just can't be scared to say no, because when we say yes to something, we say no to other things. So you say yes to this, somebody that beat you down over price. When the right guy comes along that wants to pay you what you're worth, you're, you're busy and tied up. So you have to be careful how you spend your time. Well, that's a couple of interesting points that I want to follow up on. The first yeah. one being there, the distinction between cost and value. I think that that, especially when communicated to the right client or the, the right consumer, will, will will be drawn towards the value. Did anything happen to kind of flip that switch for you or to, to put the value proposition, the value you were delivering in front and center? Or how did that come about? I think I, I look back at myself at how I consume goods. And, um, you know, first off, trust. You know, people buy other people regardless of what we think. If uh, even if there's a shady guy that's selling something at a better price, a lot of times, you know, we would run from them. But I thought, you know, like myself, I want to find somebody I like and trust. Uh, you know, the product, it's got to be good. It's got to be of equal quality to other ones on the market. But I will pay for that. I will pay for that service. I will pay a premium gladly if I know that, again, I trust this guy. He's going to be there to help me through this process and I'll be there after the sale. And so, you know, at some point I just realized that uh, there's always going to be people that will be cheaper than you. But that's why you kind of have to decide that what is that value that you add? You know, we'll just go back to that first example was we delivered this clean fertilizer right to your house and we even unloaded it to get to your backyard you know we did all the heavy lifting for you so that was our value proposition uh, but anyway that, i think that's where people really have to start our businesses our owners have to really stop and think what is the value that we add because instead of coming at you with price or having an answer when people come at you with price is like you know what we may not be as cheap as this guy down the street, but here's how we set ourselves apart in the service that we provide or the quality of the product or however that looks. Yeah. And I think that that kind of matches up nicely with what you had said of understanding what they want and what makes it easy for them and what problem are they looking to have solved? I think your example right. does all of those things. Yeah. The other thing I wanted to highlight that you referenced was saying yes to everybody uh, is in essence saying no to a potential better deal or a better client down the down the road, and I think that's an right. easy trap for for someone getting started as well. It's just, well, it's an opportunity I have to take it. How yeah. have uh, do you have any uh, good experiences or, or stories about a time you <laughs> oh, said yes, my. or maybe you shouldn't have? Yeah, yeah, I've got a few of them. You know, because what happens is, unfortunately, uh, they tend to make poor clients anyway because. I say yes to, you know, 20% discount. And then the next thing I know is like, you're, well, could you just add, I just need you to add this one more thing. And, uh, you know, then that you, they one more thing you to death. And also uh, the other thing is the exchange of goods. For some reason, I think if people don't feel like they value you, like when I have to get uh, data from them, if I'm always waiting around for them and then, you know, 30 days, 45 days into this, then they're like, 
what are we waiting on? You know, we're taking so long. I'm like, Hey, I can only move as fast as the information you provide me. And I mean, I've actually had to fire a couple of people that they just wore me out with all this extra stuff. And I just had to say, look, we've got to draw a line in the sand. This project just has to end, you know, at this point in time, when we have given you what you asked for, what you've paid for plus some. So that's easy to do because, you know, we always want to please the customer but also we have to protect ourselves because I, there's been a couple of people I've worked for that I could, it would have been a perpetual job. You know, they were glad to get more work out of me for a not no more uh, pay. <laughs> yeah. And that's a good point that if they're starting to diminish the value of the service you're providing up front, then they may, as, as the example you give, they may put less uh, emphasis on meeting the guidelines or, or respecting the work that you're doing altogether. So that's all things to take into consideration. So uh, good, good example there. Uh, you did mention that as well that customers are willing to, or more willing to pay a premium for a service provider they trust, somebody that has a track record of success. How do you communicate that to to new clients, or how do you um, kind of show that that's that's what you're offering as an example to to someone who hasn't worked with you before? Yeah, I think it's being responsive to them. I guess another example of me is uh, when I look at deals is, uh, you know, if I'm the buyer, if you won't take time to pay attention and service me to get my money, how are you going to treat me once you have my money? Exactly. (laughs) So, you know, that's always a big one for me. And so I, you know, I just try to be courteous, be responsive in the beginning, uh, you know, let them know I'm interested and you kind of set the tone from the beginning. Cause if you got that guy that, you've called three times and no answer, or I'm going to get to you or on the schedule, you know, sometimes that is a preview of what's going to happen if you do business with that person. So really starting out again, I put myself in my customer's position and treat them how I want to be treated. And kind of on that, there, there used to be an old saying that, um, uh, treat people the way you want to be treated. And somebody's kind of topped that now. And they, they're like, treat people the way they want to be treated. (laughs) They may not necessarily want to be treated the way you do. So, you know, it's a lot of dialogue. It's a lot of uh, like real questions, not just, uh, not just fluff or just, uh, you know, I'm trying to pretend because people can see through that. They can see me, I think through your intentions and know if you're just kind of shining them on or, or how that looks. Yeah, that distinction between how others want, you know, how you, you want to be treated versus how others want to be treated is an important one. And you mentioned asking questions or, or finding out what that is. How have you been successful in, yeah. in asking those right questions? Yeah, and another kind of one to go along with that is when you walk in, especially to car dealership, they're like, uh, you know, we're going to treat you like family. I'm like, holy crap, can you not treat me, can you treat me better? <laughs> yeah. But no, I think it's asking the questions around, uh, you know, the experiences that they've had. What do they really want? Again, getting back to what is this problem? Because a lot of times we go at people with our product or our service and we just try to ram it down your throat. And, you know, if you're trying to sell me a, you know, a 1975 uh, Kenworth tractor trailer, I'm not in the trucking business. I don't care how good a quality and I don't care how good a price. It's just not something that I can use. And so, you know, we have to ask these probing questions. Again, we get back to what, what, what is your problem? What, how could I help you? And since, you know, sometimes I learn that it's something I don't do. And I just have to say, look, love to help you. It's not up my, um, that's not what I do. 
not a specialist in that, but I do know people that can help you. And it's, it's having thoughtful conversation and not just rushing through and be like, okay, I just need you to sign this paper. Can you, can you just sign the contract and we'll be good. But, you know, having a conversation, not pushing them, if it's meant to be, it'll happen. And uh, I'm just not a pushy salesman because I, I feel like sometimes the more we push people into something, that's again, when things can go bad, because then once you do sign the contract then they have buyer's remorse, like they were pushed into it. So I just would rather take my time, answer all their questions, find out as much background as I can on what is going on, what's happened in the past, where do they want to go? That way you can, you know, like in my business, I can really design a product that they, that will help them. And I can be a value to them, not just be a check that they have to write at the end of the month. Yes. Having, having your clients have a buy-in or put a value on what you're providing will kind of uh, really help with that, with that trust and with the buy-in. Have you, um, I was going to ask, having not only one, but having two podcasts, have have you seen that the audience that you're talking to, that that will open other doors for you business-wise or how how have you seen those two uh, worlds related? Yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, we talk to people that, and again, a lot of times it's not something that I do, but I, I can be able to help people. And, you know, the I think my biggest reason for doing the podcast, because I get to meet a lot of great people like yourself, and I selfishly tell people that I learn from all of my podcasts, and I haven't done not one that I haven't learned something. Sometimes it's something I know that I you know, I've kind of forgot about doing and should be doing. And a lot of times it may be a whole new idea, but uh, yeah, just making those relationships. Uh, you know, I've got a, a good story on that. We did a podcast on the educational with a lady in Australia who's like a, like a brain scientist. I mean, one of the smartest women I've ever talked to. And she said, Hey, you know what? My husband just happens to be over in Austin, Texas working and he may go up to Dallas. And so we're like, Oh, well tell us when he gets up here, we'll take him out. We went and took him out to dinner and had a big, the big time. And now she's coming over here for a little bit. And so her her and Terry are going to hook up, but you know, it's just building these relationships that you just never think about. And, um, we're doing some work now on the educational podcast with my university. Uh, they have a health science center and they do a lot of brain research. And so getting to interact with those people, I mean, it's, it's really exciting. Yeah. That's, that's a relationship you wouldn't have had outside of the podcast. And now it's something that's going to be ongoing. That's, that's excellent. Can you tell me a little bit about the uh, educational podcast? Yeah. The educational, we talked just about aging, you know, our parents, I did a lot of work in the aging field for many years, and my actually my graduate degree is a gerontology, so it's kind of my thing. And um, Terry's mother, my partner, her mother had uh, some issues not long ago. She slipped and fell, and so we were like, "There's so much information out there that people don't get until it's a crisis situation." So part of this was like, let's just be informational, try to push as much stuff out there as we can to try at least maybe have a little bit of a, uh, uh, insight into it before you need it, because it's usually in the middle of the night. Nobody's around to you know call and get help. And, um, and the other thing, too, end of life, it's uh, important to have conversations. We don't like to talk about it. But we need to make sure we have all of our documents in place. We need to make sure our kids know, or if you're, if you have parents, 
make sure you know where their documents are, what their wishes are. Got to have a conversation. And if there's more than two kids, I will almost guarantee you each kid knows exactly what their mom wants. And it's something totally different because nobody's <laughs> ever thought to ask the question, what do you want? That's that's good advice. And, yeah. and it kind of leads me, I, I skipped over your graduate and undergraduate degree because I wanted to ask you about it. Yeah. So I would assume that a graduate degree, and I'm going to mispronounce it, gerontology is not common. How did you find your way into that field or what, what piqued your interest about it? Yeah, so I was a finance guy. And so we used to go into these senior living companies and, you know, we would really look at their expenses, try to benchmark them and see, you know, how we could help dial those in. And uh, this was back in the olden days when, you know, as mom and pops is like, a, you know, a, a person may own two or three of them, but that was it. And so uh, they were and they were generally from the care side, they were caregivers that turned into owners. And so uh, there was a big need for this. And one time, you know, uh, somebody kind of popped off at me and said, uh, you're just a number jumper. You don't know anything about this business or what it takes to, you know, care for people. And I'm like, all right, I'll just show you. So here in the state of Texas, the degree I got, it is what nursing home administrators do before they set for the licensure. I just, uh, the only thing I would have had to do is go do uh, internship for so many hours and I could take the test. So I did that just to, you know, kind of give me a little bit of credibility in the field that I was working in at the time that, you know, I do understand the complexities of this because, uh, you know, we don't, we never wanted to cut somebody to the bone where, you know, we made it where they couldn't serve their customers. But again, there was always, uh, you know, there's always ways to rearrange things to make it a little more profitable for them. Interesting. So did you, did you find that having a, a coursework or a graduate degree in this case in that field that the expertise gave you a different understanding outside of, of just the finance or how, how did it help outside of, of knowing more what was going on day to day? Yeah, it just helped me understand programs. We made a lot of programs and, and the other thing, this is where I got interested in, uh, um, employee turnover because uh, I, we had an actual lady that she did run this huge uh, complex. She had apartments, assisted living and nursing home on her campus. And so she was uh, teaching the class and we were reading through this book and, and you got to know my background. I came, I start, I started with AT&T and worked with them. I was probably, you know, I was there for 18 years and I was the first person I knew that ever quit the company and just went away. Everybody worked there till they retired. So when I went to this company, I mean, when we were reading through this book, it said that nursing home, nursing homes can experience over 300% turnover of, in a year. Wow. And wow. I mean, it was such a revelation to think, how do you do business when you turn your staff over three times in a year? I mean, you got to have one staff person to actually keep up with the hiring, you know, changing. I mean, can you just think about the administrative part of that, like taking people out of your system, putting them in the system? And um, so anyway, that's what got me into that. And then the second part is I was doing some work for a company that had about 10 uh, assisted living communities across the southeast. And I was sitting in a meeting with the CEO and they were doing their kind of one-on-one -on -one monthly with one of these guys in the field. And he was so excited. He's like, I hired 15 people today. 
And I wrote, I mean, I had a tablet in my hand. I wrote a big note to the CEO. I, I held it up. I'm like, how can you hire 15 people in a day? I mean, it's just not feasible. I, at the time, I had a part-time marketing person that worked for me. And whenever they would leave, it'd be like, I'd want to jump out a window thinking, you know, it's going to take me two or three weeks to find this person. And uh, this guy was telling me that he hired 15 people. And it just, it's unreal the things that we do because we just set ourselves up for failure. Of course, I don't want to get off on that soapbox, but <laughs> it, uh, yeah, I could talk about that for two or three hours. But, you know, it's just things like that. So I think that was the biggest, um, I think that was the biggest benefit for me was understanding, you know, little things like that, little programs, uh, you know, that some states may have to help augment uh, caregivers, different things like that. Plus, we, uh, I had a really good professor that uh, had a lot of techniques to let us know how it felt to be a senior with hearing loss, sight loss, uh, things like that, being wobbly. She had some crazy shoes or something you put on that you couldn't stand up right. So every time you took a step, you're just about to fall over. So she did a lot of those things because, again, this gets us back to you have to put yourself in that person. And so many times we get frustrated and upset, but I guarantee you, once you go through some of these uh, virtual reality things about how it feels to be in that position, it it changes your outlook, you know, and the way and our, the patience that we need to have with our older people. Yeah. It's, that's a wonderful comparison to kind of putting yourself in the shoes of those you want to serve and, no. You know, God willing, we will all get to be there someday, yeah, right. and it, it's going to be difficult, and it's going to have different challenges. And understanding those earlier on, or as you say, not getting frustrated with with something that we don't know what it's like to be our normal, uh, under, having an understanding of that earlier on can only help. So that, that's an excellent point. Yeah, and and it, just one more point I'm going to add on that is that you know it also made us look at ourselves and say we need to go into this aging. Uh, better prepared, you know, in healthier, eat better, exercise, because all these different things affect you so much and they're amplified through the aging process. And so, you know, we have a lot of people on that help with preventative stuff as well. That's, that's, that's the big piece. What if you can, can avoid some of that? That's that's a good point. Thank you for adding that. I I did want to highlight the 300% turnover that you referenced, which is in an astronomical number. And the only other place that I've heard such a figure, and I don't even know if it's still accurate, but was at a McDonald's franchise. And the reason why they can withstand such turnover is because they have dedicated systems. They have a process A to Z. And that while this sounds harsh, that the talent is, you know, it's understandable that they're not going to stay long and that there is going to be that turnover. So they have that consistency in how they do things. Um, but I would think that in, in that field, uh, that you, that the talent is maybe not utmost importance. You can have some systems to make up for that, but you really need to have good people in those roles. Otherwise the level of care will, will diminish. Yeah. Yeah. That's the, that's the thing is, and it just gets back to hiring. I think a lot of uh, our turnover issues really stem from the hiring process. And, you know, it's like the 15 guy, the 15 people that this guy hired. I mean, you know, all he could do is check a pulse and say, you know, do you like old people? And they said, yeah, okay, you're hired. But, you know, what? I, the point I tried to make to this guy later on in the day was that me taking care of my mother or my grandmother, that's one thing. Me taking care of your mother or your grandmother a whole separate thing. And so, you know, we really have to go beyond of, 
you know, I've taken care of my mom or my dad to, are they really suited for this job? And, you know, there's a lot of good uh, uh, aptitude tests that can be pushed through, but also, you know, finding out uh, workers comp issues, just a lot of things that you could delve into to kind of save yourself a lot of headaches on the back end too. Yeah, I think you referenced setting yourself up for failure by not doing that properly. And I've, I've heard along the way you want to hire slow, fire fast. So there's it's really never a good reason to bring 15 people on in one day. That's for sure. <laughs> no, that's right. <laughs> I did want to I, I did want to ask, as you referenced it, I didn't want to let it go, that uh, you referenced that you were the only person that you knew to leave AT&T after 18 yeah. years. Um, right. Was Is there a story there or what, 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 what drove you out? Yeah, it, it was a lot of things, but, you know, and I'll just say, you know, we, we were union. And so at the end I was uh, in the management team, but I never got my pick of vacations. I mean, there was always people, you know, been there I, and, and it wasn't just like, oh, this guy got hired a day or two before me. I mean, at some times it'd be like five or 10 years of difference in service with me in the next, I always said this, like, I must've been the last guy they hired for a long time because <laughs> there was never anybody <laughs> below me. But uh, yeah, things changed. Uh, we used to, you stayed because of the pension. They were changing our pension uh, from a defined benefit to a defined contribution. And so basically I was starting all over again, you know, after 15 years and uh, you know, a lot of dynamics were changing. I'd been, and the other thing too, I went to night school for 15 years to get my undergrad degree. So okay. that's commitment. It, it, yeah, yeah. It just things came together where I was able to take a year off of work. And uh it was the best time of my life. I, I was I went to school to finish up what I had left. And you know, I was at the time almost 40, but I was hanging out with all these kids. You know, I took my golf clubs and then uh, you know, in between classes, we go over to the golfing range and go hit golf balls, or we were the ones that were sitting out under the tree in front of the building. I mean, it was just uh it was an awesome time, but there are just so many changes going on at the company. I wasn't happy. I just wanted a new pursuit. Like I said, I'd been there for 18 years, which that's unheard of today. If you can, uh, if you can find somebody that's been at a company for two years, they're considered long tenure. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's for sure. Uh, I did want to wrap up because we're coming up on time here. Uh, you host two successful podcasts, and I, I do talk to people all the time that, how do I get started? What should I do? What what do I need to know? What mistakes am I going to make? Um, so having kind of gone through that process at, at least twice, what, uh, what advice would you have for those out there interested in uh, starting their own or maybe somebody who has started and uh, things they, they don't know yet? Yeah. Uh, you got to be committed to it. And I'm sure, you know, as you well know, our time in front of the mic is it's a lot of fun, the conversation and meeting people, but you know, that, that's 30 minutes to maybe an hour long. And it takes me probably, I hate to say, but maybe three to four hours easy to just produce and get one out the door. So you have to be, uh, you just have to be ready for that. There's no way around it. And the other thing too, I think is, uh, if you feel like you want to do it, you have something to talk Because another thing that can get in trouble is, do I have something to talk about every week? Or, you know, do we get stale talking about the ex exact same thing? So want to make sure that you have leeway in your show to, you know, have to cover enough where you don't just not doing the same thing. But also 
to commit to that growth model. I would just say start because it's whatever you do, you know, you do the, when you look back, if you've done a hundred podcasts, when you look back at your first five, you'll be like, Oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't believe it. But you know, that's with anything. It's that we grow. And even today, uh, you know, probably monthly, we find different things that we want to do to tweak. Sometimes it's just the format of how we put it out on our website, but, you know, keeping SEO in mind and how people can find us. It's just always, um, learning. Of course, that's the other thing about doing the podcast is I get to learn. So I'm a lifelong learner. I love that portion and kind of have to do the same thing. You have to listen to other podcasts to learn about SEO, to learn about titles, uh, you know, just all the components that you take to, to do the show. Uh, you just have to really want to get better every day. Yeah, I think that's two two important points right there. That the growth is good; it's painful, and when you look back, uh, to to not be too hard on yourself, and that to have that lifelong learning, that continuous improvement mindset. That uh, you know, a little bit, little bit better each day, or, or take something, learn something from each experience, and that'll uh, pay a lot of dividends in the end. Yeah, yeah, because like you know, we learned an important lesson. We used to set side by side when we did the educational, and um, when we got a new uh, audio component somehow the mic stopped stopped going through it and what we we separated our desk and terry moved over on the other side of the room about three podcasts later i was listening i'm like i can't even hear you and what happened was her mic had quit working you know her boom mic and basically (laughs) she was just yelling across the room into my computer mic so you know it's like and that you know it's mortifying because that was like after you know we were probably 50 or 60 in at that time but, you know, you just make mistakes, but you got to shake it off and be like, you know what? Things happen. They're not always going to be perfect. And it'll be a funny story someday to be able to tell that. <laughs> someday. <laughs> Maybe yeah. not today, but someday. <laughs> yeah. Excellent point. Yeah. Uh, wh- where can people find you, Roy? Well, you can find me at uh, RoyBarker.com. You can find us at AgeUcational, and that's just A-G-E-U-Cational.com. And then, of course, at the business of business podcast.com. And uh, we have audio video on our website. So you can check our website out. Or, of course, we're on op- Apple, Spotify, uh, Stitcher. We're on all the, you know, the major podcast platforms. Probably tend to hang out on LinkedIn and Instagram a little bit more than any other place. Very nice. And outside of your podcast guest, what are you learning about right now? Uh, actually, project management. I just went to a, um, I can't pronounce it's like Coursera, I think is the name of it. I had a really awesome uh, project management uh, module on there from the University of uh, California at Irvine. And uh, yeah, I learned a lot, even though that's, you know, some things that I do in life, learned some different uh, paperwork and some different forms that I think are really going to help. Uh, set me up better than what I've been doing today. And then now it made me interested in this whole, uh, you know, all the other courses that they have out there. So yeah, always looking for an opportunity to learn something new. Very nice. Never stop growing. I love it. <laughs> yeah. And then just lastly, uh, anything I didn't ask you that I should have tonight? No, uh, you know, I guess the only thing, the lifelong learner thing is that, you know, I got books stacked up everywhere and I, I, I saw this, uh, I saw one of my other favorite podcasts is the marketing book podcast. The guy reads a 
marketing book and then talks to the author. And, you know, he posted something the other day. It's like, uh, I'm on track to read all of my books if, if I live to be 600 years old. <laughs> I bet that's the way it is too. You know, Terry, she just gets, uh, she gets disappointed because I, like I had two more delivered today. I'm like, I know I'm going to get around to these, but <laughs> yeah, I, I love to read. And uh, there's just so much good out there. I think, you know, I talk a little bit about this on my show is that our world is shrinking still so fast that we have so much information and so many great people, you know, that are within our reach now. It's just, uh, it's a great time to be alive. That's a good point. There's a lot yeah. of information out there and that, you know, we, we will not get to all of it, but to get to as much of it as you can. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. <laughs> well, Roy, I, I appreciate the time. We loved having you. Uh, thank you for joining us. And uh, I'll include all of your information in the show notes and we look forward to next time. Awesome. All right, Mike. Thank you so much for having me on. It's been a pleasure talking to you. You got it. Take care, Roy. Hey, hey well, you need to, we need to plug. I wish I'd had it, but uh, Mike's actually been on the business of business podcast. And I, I think your episode is still yet to be uh, uh, published, but as soon as it is, you know, people can go over there and listen to you as well. A lot of editing in that episode. I would, I would <laughs> guess that's probably, probably the hold up. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Roy. All right. Talk to you soon. Take care.